This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thankfulness, then we realize how much we have. And out of that place comes a true humility because it's a great dependence on God. And you know, being in the, in the sort of the bush this week without electricity and having to make food for 22 or 25 people um, on a fire where the wood doesn't work so lacquer and you know, and you're um, going to walk <clears throat> and then we walked like, I actually walked with my church shoes for 20 kilometers and long pants, you know, to be at a place and you just go back to the very basics of life. Um, then you suddenly realize how dependent you really are on God. I think for us in the Western world, we live in such a comfort zone that we don't actually know. Some people just say, well, I don't need God. I'm not dependent on Him because hey, I can actually figure out my own life. But without a cell phone and without electricity and living, you know, when we just got to this little room where we slept, we, there was like a couple of rooms in this, I won't call it really a house, but it was like a mud floor and all that stuff. Uh, we, we killed like seven spiders just in this little room, you know, and the spiders, I don't know, I call them kamikaze spiders because in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, they jump from the roof, they jump onto you. So you just hear people go like, you know, <laughs> so that was like a, in the middle of the night, you just hear these funny noises, you know, and yes, some people, the funny noises was because of all the beans they ate, but we won't go too much into that, you know, all the different food. But that was, you know, that was so, almost like a chemical warfare going on against these spiders. But there was a, it, was, um, it was so funny, um, you know, trying to you live and you don't sleep properly because there's stuff crawling up on you in the middle of the night, you know. And then it's amazing how different people respond to different situations, you know. And so the one night, the one guy was lying and there was a big spider crawling up onto his hand, you know. And he was quite calmly just threw it off, you know. I would have like manifested demons that I don't have. But so, um, but you know, getting back into this just simplistic way of, of living, suddenly you begin to realize like, whoa, you know. And it's amazing if God takes you, but out of your comfort zone, uh, where you're so like... You're so, so sort of in a mode, you know, that we sometimes forget um, what a great salvation we have. And this is sort of some of the things we, I'm going to challenge us on and what I've been challenged on this past week. So let's go straight into scripture. We saw that if pride is there, it's sort of like, I think I've arrived. I think I can be independent from God. I think I can, I can, you know, I'm actually a self-made man, you know. And so I don't need God. I'm not dependent on God. And I'm certainly not going to be dependent on other people. Um, or interdependent with him, because hey, I can do my own thing. So let's read this in Second Corinthians 11. For I'm jealous for you. This is Paul writing to the Corinth church. He says, I'm jealous for you for a go- with you for a godly jealousy. For I've betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He says, you're not just a church, you're not just a bunch of people. He says, there's a godly jealousy in me for the church and for these people that, that he's built relationship with and established them in the faith in a great way. He says, but, but I've got one thing is I want to I wanna present you to Jesus as, as a virgin that is innocent and pure, present you to Christ. He says, and there's a jealousy, but he says, I've got a fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Our minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
Our minds can be corrupted. If you corrupt something, it means the true is faded away. Our minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the way we begin to think has become corrupt. The way we think of the gospel has become corrupt. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you have a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel, so he says there's another Jesus, there can be a different spirit, or even a different gospel that people preach. And that's what's happening, especially in the charismatic church today. There are different Jesuses, there are different spirits, and there are different gospels, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He says, so, so there's almost a godly jealousy in my heart for you as church, because I realize, like, sure, that, that if you drift away from this thing called the simplicity in Christ, a real dependence on Christ, then you may be open to another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. And it, it, it looks just like the same thing. It's called deception. Because you begin to believe that gospel. And we saw over the past couple of weeks, there are different gospels being preached. Well, sometimes prosperity gospel. Sometimes a grace gospel. If there's one doctrine that is highlighted above all the rest in our lives, then we can easily get deceived because then we move away from the simplicity of the cross. And so the more you get to know God, the more you should know how little you know Him. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> the more you grow in God, that's real maturity. The more Christ-like you become and the more you say like, wow, God, I, I, I don't know, but I... I just need to know more. I want to grow in hunger. I want to grow in passion for you. And that is, that is simply what we can measure our maturity in or in your relationship with God. It's just how hungry are you for God? How hungry am I for God? And it was so amazing in Burundi, just people that would walk over the mountains every day, you know, an hour and a half to be at church, then walk back an hour and a half to be at church. You know, just that's what they do. For the sake of the gospel, they're so hungry. They're so hungry because they're not corrupted by a world way of thinking and all the comfort zones and all the choices. And, oh, Jesus is just another option. They, they say, well, we only have Christ. And um, so let's go continue. Galatians 6. Now, in Galatians, the, the guys there, they wanted to bring back all the people to the Jewish rituals and circumcise them again and do a lot of old stuff and and so Paul fights with these guys and it's the same principle he says for you sows to, the, to his flesh will also will of the flesh reap corruption but you sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life and let us let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those of the household of faith see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So we see this theme in Paul's letters a lot. He says, look, yeah, you guys want to boast in the flesh. You've been this, you're Jews so long, all this stuff that you're doing. But he says, I boast in one thing. I boast in the cross of Christ. I boast in that revelation of what he has done. And my question to all of us is, how do we, how do we declutter our lives? <laughs> how do we come to a place where you and I Stick to that simplicity of Christ because we lose our awe of God. We lose our awe of 
who he is and what he has done in our lives. Because we either get too busy or we get stuck in materialism, we get stuck in pluralism, we get stuck in narcissism, Ooh, all those isms, yeah? Um, narcissism is sort of a, um, a, a sort of a obsession with self. And we see that in the world. We see that in many presidents and many people. It's like they're old men, but they're young kids, actually. It's all about self. And narcissism is like an epidemic in our society. The whole thing of entitlement. And, and also materialism. You know, there's only one thing that Jesus warned people of more than anything else is the love of money that is the root of all evil. So even if you're sitting here this morning and you think like, oh, I'm not rich. I tell you, if you have a car, you are very rich. <laughs> if you can decide what you're going to eat every meal of the day, and you have a meal for three times a day, then you are very rich. So don't think like, oh, yeah, that guy living in the palace over there, he's very rich. We're very rich. <laughs> and... And Jesus warned, he says, against the deceitfulness of riches. Why? Because it brings you into a comfort zone and it brings you into an independence with God. But we're going to get to that. Let's, let's just move on. So we see in the first church that there was a simplicity of heart. So we looked at the simplicity of Christ, but the simplicity of heart, and it says, this is how the church functioned. They said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We're going to look at that, that, that term, simplicity of heart. What does it mean to have simplicity of heart? Okay, let's jump to another scripture again to this book of Corinthians, which is called the book of corrections, where Paul writes to them. And he fights a lot with the church in Corinth. And many times he would say, hey, grow up. I wanted to give you like real meat, but I can only give you milk because I've got a problem is you immature Christians. He says, you're just fleshly Christians. You're just like always emotional and you're going from one event to another. But he says, for, boast, for our boasting is this, the, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. With, we conducted ourselves in the world because the world lives by another spirit, another way of doing things, in simplicity and godly sincerity. Turn to your neighbor and say, simplicity and godly sincerity. So what, let's look at those two words. When you go to the original, the simplicity means singleness. To have a single mind. To have a one mind about things. Have your main thing be your main thing. But another word that some translations say is generosity or bountifulness. When you live a simple life, the fruit of that will always be you're a generous person. You're a serving servant. You're a giver. You're not a consumer. And we see that in the first church. Their nature was giving in such a way that they gave everything away. <laughs> because their value was not in the things they earned but in, or had, but in the relationships. 
And so going to Burundi, and you know, for those of you who don't know, we have 19 churches, they shofar churches in Burundi, and they started a year and a half ago, so the church is exploding. There's more than, I think, five or 6,000 people just in those churches. And they've planted three in the DRC, and now they have to stop everything and just raise up leaders, get the structures right to plant all in the other countries around. But um, so they're doing all the ministry training and all the stuff and Bible school and encounters, all that we're doing just in their context. And, um, and so it was so amazing. So the, when you go to certain cultures, they've really got an honoring culture. We in the West don't honor, really. You know, we just like buy, say bye-bye. So, you know, and then we live on because we've got another appointment. So we rush from one relationship to another, one appointment to another. So we had this moment where we had to say goodbye. And this is how the day, before we're flying, this is how the day worked. So what started to happen is first the teaching, the morning. So the pastor always says like, 7.30, I'll be there, God willing. Okay, so whenever he says God willing, you must know there's a two-hour time frame, you know, because eternity, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day, you know, so, but, um, so eventually the pastor does arrive, God willing, a little bit later, but so then we taught and all that stuff, and it was like worship and prayer, and so we were supposed to start leaving at 11, so that we can get to our flight at, that starts, that left at 10 to 6 the evening, so by 12.30, we were still making speeches of goodbye because now all the pastors came again from all over the mountains walking an hour and a half to come and say goodbye. So now there's speeches for everyone to say goodbye and thank you. And three quarters in the speech, one guy stands up and he comes to stand on the stage and it's really honoring, but it's open. It's so amazing. There's no hiding. It's real relationship. The richness is in the relationship, not in the formality or the stuff. So this one guy comes to stand up and he says, Yes, I'm also here to come and say goodbye, um, but, you know, I've really been offended because you promised to come to my place, but you didn't come, um, so I just want to put it, in, but now everybody's there, everybody's saying goodbye, but, but it's not a big issue, it's not like, oh, you know, it's just like, let's just put it on the table, so I'm really offended that you didn't come and we were waiting for you and nobody arrived, that's not in one of the churches, so all of, all of us go like, Ooh, awkward moment, you know. <laughs> you know, shouldn't you have just like I've personally sorted out this issue? Then the other pastor come up and say, No, no, I'm sorry, it was my fault, you know, I miscommunicated, but we'll sort it out. Okay, so we'll send two people tomorrow to come and, and preach there and all that stuff. And and so they almost settle it out there right in front of everybody else. But nobody is really like throwing a tantrum or saying like this is weird. But that was the moment that changed my life again. Because the richness is in the relationship. But you know what most of us in the Western culture will do? We'll get offended. You know? But he says, hey, there's an issue in my heart. And I want to keep my heart clear and open and innocent and pure. So let's just sort it out. Let's not make a big issue about it. But you know what we do? Oh, I get offended. Because the pastor said that from the stage. So do you know what? This church is not for me anymore. I'll just move out silently. But the problem is your mind and your heart has just been corrupted. Because you're not willing to deal with it in a relationship. And that was so beautiful if you come to people that don't have all the riches and all that stuff. Is there's no underlying currents and political currents and who said this to this and that you said that to me. We almost sort it out there right in front of each other. Then the other one stands up. We repent, say sorry. And then we go on with life. The next one stands up on the stage and they say, okay, bye, bye, bye. You know? So 12.30 we leave. Now we're first going to eat a meal. 
So we go to the house of the pastor, and then there's another 20 people coming to say goodbye. So now, you know, the pastor's wife does this stuff, and they just quickly go, and now, as time flies, we're having fun. Because <laughs> we're leaving at 10 to 6, and it's 4 o'clock already, and we haven't started eating. <laughs> so by the time the pastor arrives, I am like, Shandai, 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 you know, <laughs> Lord. Maybe the pastor really wants us to stay longer because the way this kind of... So the pastor arrives, I say, Pastor, we need to get to the airport. Well, he looks at me and says, Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole house is full of people coming to greet us and now we eat this food. So at 4.30 we leave for the airport. Our flight is 10 to 6, international flight to Rwanda. Yeah? At around about quarter past five, we arrive at the airport running. You know? But now when we stop at the airport, the pastor says, no, 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 no. We're first going to take a family photo. So he takes the photo and he says, no, that one wasn't nice. Now he steps five steps back and now he goes like, because this is important. Relationship is more important. You know, and I'm sitting there, every little box in my mind is, you know. <laughs> so we arrived like at 18 minutes past five and uh, airplane leaves at 10 to six. You know? Now for any like accountant among us, <laughs> you die a thousand deaths, you know. But um, it was so beautiful. Because relationship is important. And that's why the first church had this thing that it was so beautiful there wasn't room for offense. In such a way that when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to God about even the stuff they gave, they dropped dead. Because there was no atmosphere for that offense and that bitterness and that stuff to come into hearts. And that's why simplicity and sincerity, sincerity means a clearness and a purity. They... they lived in this place with simplicity and godly sincerity. But do you know what? Because we get so busy, we get so corrupted in our mind that we all over the place, we lose this place. It's called, and the first church had it, it's called solitude. The ability to withdraw and to really worship and be present with God. But we can't be present with God anymore and we cannot be present with other people. I don't know if you've been there sometimes in, in a conversation and somebody's talking to you, but they're always like staring over you and always checking in another direction and then greeting that person. You realize like, you're not here. You're not present. Because your mind is corrupted. Not just with doctrine, but just with the busyness of life. We've lost that ability as the church. Simplicity and sincerity. Because we get so busy. We get so busy. We get so busy. And how do we do that? And we're going we're gonna to think about some of that stuff. So just coming back to this scripture that we read in Matthew 24, that the Bible tells us that there will be great offense, betrayal, hatred, a hardness of heart in the end times. Many false prophets will arise. And lawlessness, lawless means like I take a right unto myself. And I really believe that the key that we shared over the past couple of weeks is in our relationships, our relationship with God, but then relationship with each other. And if you are not relationally connected, you will get deceived. Just coming to church is not good enough because you don't have an opportunity to live out those offenses and work out those offenses and deal with that stuff. And then I like what the Afrikaans says, you know, ons hart raak moordkeil. Our heart is... Uh, Murder kale. Yeah? Our heart becomes like this place of bitterness and unforgiveness. It, the Bible talks about having a hardened heart. 
And we see that, and that's why the love of many people will grow cold, because we begin to harden our hearts. It's so easy just to do that. Now I'm going to harden my heart towards you, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to just isolate myself and withdraw and move on. Next chapter. Because it's so easy. But what is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of my heart? And you have to guard your heart above all things. And you have to put a guard in front of your mouth. <laughs> you have to sort of like protect your heart against these things and, and against being corrupted, your mind, your soul, the things that you think of. That's why the Bible says, think about what is praiseworthy. Think about what is godly. godly because even in your mind, there can become so much fear and rejection and failure and stuff. Even if it's just thinking about our nation, you just think negative stuff. And then eventually you just begin to speak that. You just say, this is the worst place ever, and this is the one. But unforgiveness and things like that then becomes like it builds up in your heart, and it allows bitterness. And the problem is, it then right starts, it starts here. There's no simplicity. There's no sincerity. You lose your authenticity, your realness with God. And that's why Jesus said, if you want to come to him, come like a child, because children have that. Children just believe, you know. There was, um, at, at a stage, we, we broke up in these three groups and just went onto the marketplace and just preached the gospel. And then when we were on, around the corner, it, there was like five kids or ten kids. The ten kids became a hundred kids, probably, you know, eventually we took so long to walk because we walked to the sea, but then each one of us had about 40 kids, you know. And I'll, I'll show you the picture some other time, but it's amazing. It looked like we, we're bringing these masses of hundreds of kids just followed us. It felt like the Bible, you know? And, and the amazing thing is also the f we had a funeral, and, and the funeral, I think there was about 1,200 people at the funeral. You know, people take the whole day off just to come and respect and, you know, just to come and bless. And the, the guy was buried on top of the hill, but it's not like, you know, so I walk with this nice fancy church shoes. It's just rain. It's just muddy and slippery. The tannies, they walk up there with their high heels. What a miracle. I think that's the ninth miracle of the world, is ladies with high heels, how they balance themselves. on, you know. But they up there in the mud. Now, we're probably walking two kilometers up the mountain where the guy's going to get buried, but everyone is there in their fancy clothes, in their stuff, but they're going to respect. They're going to honor. And then the gospel is preached. Yeah, at least ten times. I like that, you know, because we don't preach for the dead. We preach for the living. Okay, so, so how do I keep my, my, my heart pure and simple? It's in Revelations, we see this, where there's um, the church that's been written to. And you can um, see there in verse 2, where it says, where God writes these letters to the church, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot be those who are evil. He says, you really love the truth. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So, so he says, this is a church that is really focused on keeping the deception out. And you have perceived, persevered, and have patience, have labored for my, name, my name's sake, and have not become where he says, you are really, really diligent in working hard and standing for the truth. Nevertheless, the less I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The definition of your first love is your foremost affection. Your foremost affection. 
So whenever we place something above God, whether it's our good works, whether it's our great exploits, whether our great stuff we do, we've left our first love. And then immediately your heart begins to drift. Because it can even be good things, but that's why this church, it says you have perseverance, you're fighting the great faith, and you're standing against all this deception, and you're testing the spirits, and you you know, you, you stand against evil, and you spiritual warfare people, all this great stuff, but one problem. There must be a foremost affection, and you've lost that. And so that is the, the issue of the heart, is do we have a circumcised heart? Do we really put God first? Because maybe it's your family that you put above God. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your salary. There's so many things we can place above God. But you can only have one lover of your soul. Can I get an amen? So I'm just, I'm just picking up. Okay. Are you, are you still with me? Okay. So, so, so we're going to take a bit of an ad break here because now it's your time to be part of the sermon. I want you to think of four things in your life, get a piece of paper or get your cell phone not to watch Facebook or your WhatsApp. I want you to think of four things that may really be cluttering your view of Jesus at this time. Just stuff that maybe keep you very busy or things that, that, um, that would sort of draw your attention away from your foremost affection. Maybe it's just the busyness of this life. Maybe it's because the practical is actually to go and think about how do I, how do I declutter? How do I, how do I make sure that there's, there's a protection around my heart? There's a protection around what I think and what I believe, you know, because my wife and I, Louise, we know Louise, she's in charge of the children's church. So, and we had a school at our house, you know, so the, the challenge is, um, Everything that comes over our doorstep is a possible tool to be used for children's church. So if there is a toilet paper roll, then that is a possible something we can build something with. So in our house, if you open the cupboards, you have to step away because something may attack you out of that cupboard. There's no space, no room for, for anything. So there's always this one week in the year where I stay at home and then I want to start to get busy. And that is normally the week that my wife dread because I, I sort of pack the stuff away and just start to get to remove some stuff and then, then I get to this edge. I call it the edge, you know, and then I just start to throw stuff away. Just like, just violently. Want to, to declutter, get rid of stuff, you know. And, um, and, and, in the beginning, I was actually very gracious because then I would just pray about it, you know, and then they would come, they, we still lived here behind the spa in a little flat and had our first child and then these magazines would be stacked up because they're all opportunities for stuff to cut out for pictures, for children's shirts and all that stuff. So, but then I realized like if I touch that stuff, I'm going to get into trouble and then I'll pray and I say, Lord, you know, and, and then the rain will come in and the garage will be flooded and all the papers will be, and then, then I'll just sit stand there with a smile. Not saying a word. But I, I think sometimes you lose a bit of grace as you go on, you know, because now we're just like, 
I just want to get rid of this stuff because it's just too much stuff keeps you busy. You know, the moment when you, you pray for a house and then you get a house and then you realize, like, I have to maintain this thing. It keeps me so busy, you know. And, 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 and then you have to, how many of you can relate with that? You know, it's always like this thing or this thing and then there's a crack here and a thing there and all that stuff. And I'm not a handyman, so I just like, hallelujah, I just pray and then move on, you know. But, um, but that's sort of a picture of our, of, of our lives. What's the right word? A miser. Is it a miser that just keeps on? Who's the person that just keeps stuff? A lauder. A lo- but that's not a nice word. Yeah. Huh? Oh, order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just take that one out. But so, um, but so having that stuff, you know, it's, it's like it keeps us away from, from just living simple lives and that was something that just confounded me again in this this week the richness of of especially poorer people where there's no electricity we made all our food on a fire takes you four hours and then the relationship around the fire that's all we have and the eating together that's all we have but you know we rush fast food all that stuff so quickly, write down four things, and I want you to discuss it with somebody next to you. We're going to take five minutes. I want you to think of four things that you need to, in your, it can be spiritual, it can be natural, it can be emotional. That just stuff that puts weights on you. The stuff that makes you just like not live a simple life um, with Christ and with these people. So quickly, I know some of you have got 20 stuff, and some of you think you don't have anything, but there's a lot of stuff in our lives, you know? Especially those big word people that just gather and gather. Okay, quickly, quickly, just and then sit with somebody because you're going to discuss it. This is this is now the let's be open and let's get it out there. You know, let's let's put it on the table moment. Okay, great stuff. How many still needs a minute? Okay, while those people still continue, we'll just go back to slide number seven. That simplicity of heart. Let's go back. I think the person upstairs has been raptured. Go back to number seven. <laughs> Just one more. Slide number seven. Simplicity of heart. So you can continue discussing, but I want, to, I want us to continue going because he says here this, this amazing thing. He says, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience I want to ask you, what is the testimony of your conscience? That we conducted ourselves in the world in a certain way of living, a certain way of thinking. You know, we, we had this moment at the funeral, <laughs> after the funeral, and um, the Burundi church lives in a different space. And I love that. I wish it was so here in Stellenbosch, but I'm no condemnation or anything like that. So let's just put it out there. But um, if, if you drink, just drink any alcohol in Burundi, you're not considered a Christian. Because that's what separates the church from the non-believers. So we had a moment at the funeral, after this funeral, because the funeral is like the whole day. And we, um, and so 
all of the teams. So we go again. There's hundreds of people sitting there, and then there's speeches again, and then there's the ceremony at the end where you would, they would wash your hands, and that is the end of the day. Then we forget. We forget the per, not forget the person, but now it's time to move on because your hands have been cleansed of all the dirt and all that stuff. And then you sit there, and then they brought all of us like this bottles of Coke and Fanta and Sprite. And so the team sits there, and, and they go, cheers, cheers. <laughs> and I just shout, no, <laughs> we don't cheers. <laughs> because cheers here is related to a bar where you drink alcohol. So everybody was going, you know, because I was sort of like, I, I just like, just before anybody else could s- s- sort of see. Now, <clears throat> that is part of their culture, which I think is beautiful. I haven't got anything against wine or drinking or all that stuff, but if you live in the world with a clear conscience, then why would you, especially publicly in Stellenbosch, when you know that there is something that destroys so many lives, go to a pub and drink alcohol? Because how is your life then different from the world? I'm not saying don't do it in private. Or, but it's something that challenged me so much is, is how is my conscience actually clear in the way that I live? In the way that I conduct myself? Simplicity and godly sincerity. Because now suddenly you can become a generous person. So that was just on the side. But now the second question is, are you and I generous in our lives? Because generosity starts not with finances, but in the way that we live towards others. I'm bountiful. I'm a giver. And this is so beautiful about this testimony that if we keep our hearts simple and our lives simple, it's like I overflow with thankfulness firstly towards God. And that's always to me the barometer because, you know, when you come back from a, a week where you, where you haven't, like, slept properly at night because of kamikaze spiders or stuff crawling up on you or stuff, and you just, like, and you come back to your home, then suddenly you realize, like, wow, there's a flushing toilet and a shower that works. And, you know, pasta and cheese sauce and, and pasta and cheese sauce and some bultong and pasta and cheese sauce and some fish and pasta and cheese sauce and that's what they ate the whole week, you know, and, and, and these snack bars, you know, and you come back home and then you realize like, whoa, there's a fridge and you open up the fridge and you stand and worship in the fridge before the fridge because just the coldness of the stuff that blows out of the fridge and you put your head in that fridge and you just look like cheese, yeah, oh, there's some cheese in here, yeah. Because they, they don't have cheese, really, you know. But then suddenly you begin to get thankful because you realize, like, I can't just assume these things. Because who put me in this position? Who placed me here and gave me these great blessings? It's God. Hello? So what is the testimony of your conscience and my conscience? And it's reflected in your generosity the way that we live, the way that we give. And I want to challenge us to become givers. Some people think, oh yeah, I tithe through the church, and I really want to thank people that tithe. 
and give. Because in any case, that doesn't belong to you. It's God's. But are we really generous? Are we living lives that are free to be able to give? Or are we trapped? Our conscience is actually being trapped by the world, the way the world lives. And I want to encourage us to build in stuff in your life that you can have awe and reverential moments with God. Make it hard for yourself sometimes just to live in a comfort zone. And God will sometimes allow suffering in our lives to take us out of that comfort zone when we lose our foremost affection and our dependency on Him. Because just like Paul writes to the church and says, I long for you with a godly jealousy. And I've got this fear in me that you will start to get deceived because you've, you've walked away and you're going to start to listen to a different gospel. And why? Because there's an issue of your heart that, that needs to be dealt with, he says. And he writes it with this affection and with this love. But if Paul feels that, how does God not feel that about his pride in his church? God longs for you with a godly jealousy. He watches over you. What is the issues of your heart? What is the stuff that you entangle yourself with so easily? And God is jealous over that. He is a jealous God. But it's not a destroying God. It's a jealous God because he realized that he's the only one that can satisfy you. Not that stuff. Not the things. Not the places where you go. Not all the options you have. And then we get deceived because we think we're all right. Because, hey, I'm tithing to the church. But I've never learned the ability to become a giver. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because now I begin to reflect the character of God. And that's where sincerity begins, where I just become a... And I want to challenge you to open up your home. <laughs> Without it being a church program, just invite people. Just say, hey, now Donnie and sorry, they do it very well. They just have a Friday night and then they just invite people and they make them food, generosity. And I want to challenge all the families once a month, just connect with somebody in the church, just that somebody that you meet here at One Minute Connect and just say, hey, will you come and have a meal with me? Just open up, become generous, become blessing, blessing others. And suddenly you realize you are more blessed then. Because why your conscience becomes cleared about all the stuff. <laughs> and that's how they will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Because we've become generous. We're not consumers. The world is our consumers. The world are entitlers. The world out there is everyone living for themselves. Narcissism. Everybody. The, the love of many has grown cold. And the only answer is the church of Jesus Christ. They're going to run to us when they see we are generous people. We live simple lives. And relationship is more important than the things we own, the places we go, the CVs we can write. Those things are all great. But we've come back to a simplicity and a sincerity of living. So the homework is go better home and go, go, go and eat through this, go and think through this, go and pray through this. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict us because comfort and stuff like materialism is our biggest enemy. The many options we have. Jesus is just another option. And then next week you're going to continue. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, where he says, I don't come to you in excellence of speech, but I came to you in demonstration of the power of the gospel. 
says the simplicity of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And so God is calling us, you know, to start with our hearts, to start with this place of living and start with, with what are the issues of my heart that he wants to deal with. And there's, if there's this morning unforgiveness in your heart, then you need to settle it. Settle it quickly. Go to a friend. The Bible says even if you stand at the altar and you want to worship and bring your sacrifice and you know there's somebody else that's got something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and make restitution. Run. Because it's about the issue of your heart. It's about what happens here inside. <laughs> Live a simple life. Live a simple life. And I want to challenge you. If there's some stuff you must sell, sell it. If there's some stuff you must give away, give it away. Just get rid of it. If that keeps you from your foremost love. If that keeps you from connecting with God. Because those things clutter our minds. It corrupts our minds. And then it settles in our conscience. But there's good news. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleans our consciences. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. We can come to God and say, God, I want to I have a clear conscience before you. I want to have an open heart. And for some of us, it means open heart surgery. <laughs> Sometimes it means that God come and circumcise me because I realize I got so cluttered and corrupted by the way the world thinks. And now I want to keep up with the Joneses and I want to drive what the Joneses drive and I want to have a house like the Joneses and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But if that becomes your foremost affection, you're in trouble. And slowly but surely, you isolate yourself from relationships and you get deceived because pride enters in. You become a self-made man and you lose your independence or your dependence on God. You become independent. And that's the sign of the ages. But the good news is the blood of Jesus speaks. The blood of Jesus, that moment when you enter into the Holy of Holies and you say, God, I thank you. Cleanse my conscience. Give me the simplicity of heart just to live with you like a child. And that's why the Lord says, hey, the, the, I've, I've come to despise the wise with the foolish. Childlikeness. Not childishness. Because we all have a responsibility, but childlikeness and humility and teachability is the doorway to enter into the kingdom of God. Humility, humility, humility. And humility, a part of that humility is living a simple life. A life of simplicity where you believe and you have faith. Wow. You know, I'm going to end off with a story. So we're standing there in Kigali Airport and... We're waiting because one of our guys hasn't got a visa. He's from Australia, and they don't have a, uh, a consulate in Australia, so they, we, couriered, we couriered his passport there, couriered it back, and he didn't arrive in time. So by faith, we go on the airplane with this one guy, Raymond. Some of you know him. And we realize he hasn't got a visa. The rest of us all applied for visas. took us a month or more, but Raymond hasn't got a visa. So, so we're thinking like, ah. So we eventually arrived in Rwanda. We're standing on the airport. And um, now we have this tense moment. And so like, and eventually Raymond comes to this counter and they just say, where's your visa? And he says, well, this is it. He has the papers. He has the invitation letters. But there is no consulate. So, and the guy just said, sorry, we're going to try and help you. But no. So they phoned the, the consulate in Rwanda. It's Saturday the guy just says, after an hour of standing, so eventually the plane is going to go, so we send the first group of people, and so Vilio, myself, and two other people are standing there. 
and Raymond was Steve. And so we're standing there and we say, okay, now it's decision time. It's 99. But you know, God is never late. Sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> it feels like, Lord, help. <laughs> Where are you? Are you out there somewhere? You know? um, but, um, and so we're standing there. And, and so eventually we have to make a decision because we have to go now. We're boarding in 10 minutes and we still go through the security gates. And so, so I said to Valia, okay, cool. Let's make a decision. Here's some money. Go with him. Don't leave him alone. He's an Australian. Bless his heart. Amen. But um, just his accent will get him into trouble. But so, so I say, here's the money. Go to the consulate. And even if it takes Monday, then you have to get a bus, drive over Rwanda into Burundi. So I gave him the money. And Sevilla says, okay, cool. That's it. So as he walks, the guy just that's been working with us now for an hour and a half and said, it's impossible. She says to him, if you want to take a chance, Go. So yeah, Raymond comes walking through. Get onto the plane, get into Burundi without a visa. So if God can get you into a country without a visa, hallelujah, you know, then he can open any doors. <laughs> but you know, it's so amazing. And eventually we got a, we got a visa on Burundi's side after waiting for long hours. But it's, it's so amazing because if you have simple faith, God can do anything because he said, go. We obviously prayed about it, we fasted, and we asked God, Lord, this looks like impossible. Should he stay in South Africa or just go? And we just said, okay, by faith, get him on the plane. We've paid for the ticket. Let's go. Because there's such a simplicity of faith. We must believe that he is, and he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. And the devil wants to rob your faith. He wants to rob the testimony of your conscience. There's a testimony that comes to have a clear conscience before God, to live in this overflow of life, this abundant life. My dad is the biggest and the greatest. If he said something, it's going to happen. But see, if we just live in comfort and we get so distracted, then eventually we lose our faith. Slowly but surely we lose our faith. And isn't that the thing that Jesus challenged his disciples the most on? Why have you got so little faith? No, but the storm is great. Why have you got so little faith? Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.